0: This is Hypercritical, a weekly talk show ruminating on exactly what is wrong in the world of Apple and related technologies and businesses. Nothing is so perfect that it can't be complained about. Hypercritical is hosted by John Syracusa, and I'm Ryan Ireland sitting in for Dan Benjamin. This episode of Hypercritical is brought to you by Shopify.com and Rackspace, and we'll hear more about them later in the show. Bandwidth for hypercritical is brought to you by Midas green tech virtual private servers submerged in oil get free bandwidth today at MidasGreenTech.com slash five by five all right John um, let's go ahead and get started we okay. um, you know I'm not Dan I'm Ryan and uh, but we but you still have a, b- a big list of, of stuff you want to talk about I guess we should start up with uh, with some follow-ups from last episode
1: that's right. I don't know if did you listen to last episode. I don't Dan, know that time. John, uh, I to listened. Listen. To,
0: I listened to every episode. Even, you do. Even if I wasn't doing uh, research as an understudy for Dan, I actually do listen to the <laughs> show. Well,
1: That's nice. That's nice to know. So last week we talked a little bit about BB Edit versus TextMate versus Vi versus Emacs versus the world, uh, and I said a couple of things about BB Edit. Mostly good, but one or two things I said were was limited. One of them was multi-language support. So BBEdit has the concept of uh, a language for a document. So it's a global setting in the bottom of the document says what la- what language is this document? And it's a very big list you can pick from. I don't know the full list actually. I'll pull it up now and take a look. So it's got it's got anything everything from 68k assembler. That's the first one alphabetically speaking, all the way down to YAML and about 50 things in between. Uh, so it's got a lot of language support. But I was talking about uh, TextMate's ability to have awareness of what context it's in within a document so if you're editing an html file for example it would know that you're in a javascript block and load the bundles that are relevant to the javascript stuff and you could do all this fancy completion business based on that context Uh, um, and i was saying i would like more of that from bbedit uh, because it has support for a huge number of languages but you can't arbitrarily mix them together as a TextMate seems to be able to do. And I also mentioned that in the context of why BBET it might be so fast because it's not constantly trying to figure out what context everything is in and syntax highlight at one of 18 different supported languages at all times. So I don't know if that has anything to do with why TextMate Textmate reportedly beach balls when you paste in a huge amount of text. Uh, But I I was just throwing that out there. So uh, after I said that, very shortly after I said that. I was told by the people that know that actually I'm not giving BBEdit enough credit for its multi-language support. And this is true. So I have a link to a video in the show notes showing BBEdit's multi-language support. And the example, which I should have thought of since I've done it myself, is when you make an HTML document and you pick like the language and the document is HTML. So that's a global switch in BBEdit for any individual document You say, this is HTML. But within an HTML document, BBEdit knows like oh there might be javascript and and oh there might be css in an html document so the guys at bare bones actually put together a quick little video it's like a 30-second video showing hey look at me i'm editing an html document and when i'm in this little style block uh you know between the style tags i get completions based on css and when i'm inside the html thing i get completions based on javascript uh so it just goes to show that uh BbEdit continues to have more features than I remember that it has. I mean, you know, the thing I was trying to get is that you still can't arbitrarily mix them. So you can't have a document that mixes, you know, Tickle with SQL, with Objective-C, with Fortran. I mean, even though BbEdit supports all those languages. But for the ones that really count, uh, like HTML, BbEdit has hard-coded support for these different languages in these different contexts. You know, I uh, I
0: I just switched over to BBEdit after using TextMate for, I don't know, probably like everyone else, what, five years or something like that. And uh, I can, uh, just to come to your defense a little bit, uh, as far as, as, as you know, n- forgetting maybe some of the features of BBEdit, is that I'm just so new to it now that uh, that it, I'm still discovering, and I used BBEdit back in, like, I think the last time I had used it was like 2003 or 2004. And uh, coming back to it, it's just taken me a long time to unpack all these features again. I mean, BBEdit is, uh, it, it's, it, it's so powerful that, that, that I, didn't, uh, I don't use a, a good chunk of, of what it does. And so I can see how some of those things might be overlooked. And it's also things for me, you know, where the, the whole concept of bundles in, in, in TextMate, I'm still trying to figure out how, how I can make that work in, in BBEdit the way I was using it before.
1: So BBedit actually has, here's the problem for a long time BBedit here, since I've been using BBedit since the beginning. The features that I tend to miss are the ones that they've added. And if I don't go and seek them out, I'm like, oh, I don't need that. I'm happy with the way I work in BBedit. I won't know that they're there. So completions were added in like, I don't know, version 8, 9. They've been around for a while. has had all sorts of completion things and they've been improving. Mm -hmm. Uh, But since I I don't use them because they didn't exist in like 1995 when I I built up all my habits, you know, I use the HTML tools, but I use mostly like keyboard shortcuts for making a new tag and entering the attributes, but not so much the completion stuff. But that exists. And the the demo video that I linked to shows, in addition to multi-language awareness, shows the completions and action stuff. And I bet there are, uh, that stuff is not always discoverable, you know? Mm -hmm. Like if you don't know the key sequences to trigger those completions, Maybe you won't even know that they're there. And so I'm kind of stuck in my rut of this is how I used Edit in, in the, the late 90s. And if there's some fancy new feature, oh, I don't need that. And then I just forget, completely forget that it exists. But, it, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there.
0: Right. And I think a lot of there, it seems like there's been a lot of people that are kind of switching. I know since BBEdit 10 came out and it was on the Mac App Store, I was like, I'm going to grab it. You know, it's, it seems like a good time to try it out is that I'm trying to use BBEdit like I use TextMate. And that's probably not the right approach.
1: Well, you can't approximate it. Like, actually, in BB Edit 10, they added a new feature. I wish I could remember the name of this was. I should have had it in my notes. I think they call them packages or something. It's very similar to bundles, but they didn't use the word Uh, bundles, where it's a bunch of extension stuff that you can put inside, like self contained in a folder that you could, like, pass around to somebody and say, Here, here's this cool BB Edit package I made that has, like, a bunch of text filters, a bunch of snippets, a bunch of new menu commands. Like, you put a bunch of things that extend BBEdit together in a single thing that you can share. And I think this is the first step on, you know, trying to go down that bundle type path where if you, if you make them reusable and you make it so that individuals can package them up, then you start to have that social effect that TextMate had where people are sharing bundles with each other and developing bundles and making repositories of bundles and stuff like that.
0: Yeah, and they, they've done that with, with, uh, with themes as well. So it's, yeah. it's a little bit easier now uh, with, uh, you can say, I guess they call it a scheme, And so that wasn't always the case, right? Because I think didn't John Gruber didn't he have uh, his BB colors or something like that that he built that allowed you to easily import different schemes into BB Edit?
1: Yeah, like these features have mostly always been there in BB Edit. The final little step is making the infrastructure so that they're easier to share. So you don't right. have to give someone 20 page instructions. All right, I'm going to give you this file, put it in this directory. I'm going to <laughs> right. give you this file, put it in that directory. i write a little, try to write an Apple script installer. You know, you just want it to be self-contained, like a folder full of stuff that you just chuck in one well-known location. Uh, and I think they're sort of laying the groundwork for, it. you can imagine several versions from now. Once the infrastructure is there for all these extension mechanisms to be self-contained, then you can actually have the application automating it. Like, you drag one of these .bb package, I don't remember the extension, but drag one of these folders or zip files or something onto the app and it would know what it was and say, hey, it looks like you're trying to install this thing. You want me to install it for you? And you never even have to know where the application is putting it. So uh, so I think that it's smart for them to be laying that groundwork now and it's getting better with every version.
0: Great. What's uh, Any more follow-up from last episode?
1: Yeah, so I also talked about launchers, Quicksilver, LaunchBar, all that business. And I was talking about how I never got into Launch Bar despite trying it several times because it appeared in the upper right hand corner. And Dan said, Well, you, you don't have to have it appear in the upper right hand corner. You can put it in the middle. So, yeah, mm-hmm. but and I said, Yeah, but the middle top, right? Like centered under the middle of the menu bar, like you could slide it along the menu bar. Uh, and then we just moved on from there. And then I quickly, after the show, got an email saying, Oh, actually, you can have Launch Bar dead center on the screen, not just centered on, under the menu bar. And I said, huh, maybe you know, I haven't used LaunchBar in a while. Maybe this is a new feature of a new version I haven't downloaded. So I went to uh, the website and I downloaded the latest version of LaunchBar and I threw it into my applications folder and it said, would you like to replace the existing version? I said, yeah, I must have already had an old version. So I, I let it replace the application and then I launched LaunchBar using Quicksilver, whatever. <laughs> I launched <laughs> LaunchBar and what did I see when LaunchBar launched? The LaunchBar window dead center on my screen. So this means that I had previously downloaded whatever version of LaunchBar bar enabled this feature. Maybe it was three or four. Who knows how long ago it was put launch bar in the middle of my screen and then completely forgotten that it had the ability to do that. So this is what happens when you get old, I guess. So yes, launch bar can be exactly in the middle of your screen. And apparently I knew this because my preferences had launch bar exactly in the middle of my screen. But I still never went away from Quicksilver for the other reasons I talked about. I like the big icons. I like the way it looks. I don't want to read text so on and so forth. Lots of Alfred fans out there. And as I said in the previous show, Alfred is as close as I've come to leaving Quicksilver in sort of the dark times of Quicksilver when it didn't look like anyone was actively maintaining it and it was getting flaky. I said, I got to find an alternative. And Alfred was the best alternative that I found because I could make it the closest to Quicksilver. It had pretty big icons. You could put it where you wanted. It was You could trim it down to be very simple. I really just wanted it to be a launcher. Really, really close. I would use Alfred probably if I didn't have uh, Quicksilver because – The things that LaunchBar does, and all those other things, and all the other things that Quicksilver does, I'm just not interested in. I just want it to be a launcher. I believe Alfred also has a million other features, but as long as I can ignore them and pare them down and just make it a launcher, uh, it's it's a pretty nice one.
0: Yeah, I switched to LaunchBar uh, for the same reason I switched. uh, I'm trying to switch to BBEdit, which is I was trying to. This was back when, just like you said, when uh, the developer I think went to work for Google for of, uh, of Quicksilver. Uh, I think that's what what happened when he he kind of uh, just stopped working on the project. And I wanted to work on I wanted to use something that was being maintained. And this is before it was picked up uh, by the community. Um, but yeah, but I, I I do you know the same thing. I, I don't um, I don't do a whole lot with LaunchBar in terms of scripting. I have a few that I do, but I do a lot where I'm opening files with it, especially if it's a file that I have selected in the Finder. And it's probably the same stuff you can do with QuickSilver too. Um, but uh, but I'm definitely a, a minimalist user of launch bar so i didn't actually know you could have it in the center of the screen i've always had it come from the top middle um so I, i'm, I'm i don't even the... know
1: how i got it in the center of the screen i'm
0: assuming <laughs> you just drag it there but oh okay, okay. Maybe that's it let's see that is it
1: wow yeah. all right
0: there you go just 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 a command space so it's a, so it shows and i just dragged it and let's see if it'll go away that's it you got it very cool well thanks for that this whole show has just been worth it now yeah
1: <laughs> And again, so, so like, it's not like someone else dragged it to the middle of the screen on my computer. It's my account <laughs> on my computer. I must have done it, but completely forgot about it. Uh, and speaking of like you mentioned opening files from the Finder, that's one utility that I haven't haven't checked whether it's been ported to line, and I really hope it can be ported to line is a default folder. Do you use that? I don't. So that's my go-to for... Like, for example, uh, a file that's selected in the finder, or opening a file that's selected in the finder. Uh, it's an extension to an open di- the open dialog box. It's been around since the classic days under various names. I think it was just called Default Folder. Now it's Default Folder, capital X or 10 yeah. or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and the main thing that it did back in the classic days was it would remember on a per application basis what folder you were last looking at in this application. Now, that was Ooh. a feature that might have been built into applications, but... You know, sometimes it wasn't, and it's just maddening. Like when you know, when I'm an image ready, okay, dating myself for classic Mac OS web development. When I'm an image ready, I want to I want to see this folder when I'm opening. I want to see this folder when I'm saving. But on when I'm in my text editor, I want to see this folder when I'm opening, but this folder when I'm saving. Uh, and that was you know, that's based on the name, default folder, the default folder of the application. Uh, it has since expanded. To be a much more capable, you know, it's come over to Mac obviously, and it's got tons and tons of features. And one of my favorite ones that I also used in the classic days and the latter classic days was when you have an open dialog box in front of you, you can hold the modifier key and bring your mouse over where open windows in the Finder would be if, you know, they're buried underneath all your windows because you've got a million apps open and a million windows and stuff like that. But underneath all of them in the bottom, you have a Finder window open and you know that the document you want to open is sitting right in that Finder window that's open but that you can't see. Mm-hmm. Well, you can hold down a modifier keystroke, put your mouse over that and it highlights the outline of the Finder window and shows you the name of it. And you can click on that ghostly outline of the Finder window that's buried beneath all your other windows and the open dialog box switches to that window. Whoa. Uh, and it has similar features where you can... The old one, you used, to, you used to be able to like modify or click on an individual file that you could see poking out on your desktop or something, and it would automatically select that file. Uh, and it's, you, know, you, can, pick, you can pick from recent folders that you've been in, favorite folders. It's got tons and tons of features. Keyboard shortcuts for all of this. The folder you were last in in this application throughout, you know, I think, history with it. I, I use it all the time, and an open dialog box without it is just barbaric to me.
0: So default folder X...
1: Yeah, And so I I just looked on their website
0: and it's, they say default folder X 4.4.3 corrects problems for Lion users. Oh, there you go. So it looks like they have a a release out from the 22nd of July. So uh, if anybody's having problems, I guess that's a, you can go get your, uh, your, oh, it's a paid upgrade. There you go.
1: Is it? Oh, no, it's an update. The
0: update is free, but it's part of, I guess it's the, the, they're just saying that. Default folder X4 uh, is a paid upgrade. Sorry. Yeah,
1: I think I recently had an upgrade. To, I'm still running Snow Leopard here, and I, uh, it has an automatic built-in updater. And I think I recently did update it, but I guess I didn't look at the changes. Uh, and the reason I wondered whether it would be compatible or not is because for sandboxed applications in Lion, the open dialog box is presented by the power box daemon and not by the application itself. And default folder is sort of one of those hacks that latches onto a system function and modifies it uh, I don't know exactly how hacky it is, but I'm sure it's something that Apple wishes didn't exist. And <laughs> what I would say to Apple is, if you don't want it to exist, take all the good features from, de- I'm sorry, default folder, Developer. if you <laughs> hear this and think I'm going to destroy your business. But it's like, I, th- I should put something of like this in the show notes. I, I wrote something on, on the, my blog at ours years ago uh, called Paths in the Grass or something like that. Uh, and I was uh, adopting a story that I heard at a, a Pearl conference that, predates that as well, and it was about uh, Stanford University, I think. And they said when they built the campus, they didn't build any sidewalks. They didn't do any paved sidewalks. Instead, they just probably grass everywhere. Uh, and then they just waited a year to see where on the grass people wore paths from walking between buildings. Mm-hmm. But like, let the people pick the most efficient, comfortable walking path in terms of the terrain and the hills and, and who goes from building X to building Y. And then after people had worn the grass down, they just built the paths where people had worn the, the, the grass down. That's where they put the cement rather than trying to guess where people might go and putting pavement there and having people not go on the paved path because it's not where they would want to walk. And that story is used to justify tons and tons of things. I, I used it to in a discussion of Hacksies, those unsanity applications that would uh, be memory resonant inside every running process and modify the processes to do something neat. Uh, these types of hacks, like default folder 10, where in order for them to provide the functionality that they provide, they have to latch on to some system function, sort of, not illegally, but, you know, in unexpected ways. They have to take an existing process like the open dialog box and grab onto it and say, no, 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 I'm going to modify you sort of without your knowledge and consent because that's the only way I can provide my functionality. Uh, Apple doesn't like those because they compromise the stability of the system where it's like, well, you know, we wrote our application not expecting you to jump into our memory image and display your own little window here or do whatever, you know, or call internal APIs and stuff like that. So please don't write those things. And of course, within the Mac App Store, they can enforce it and say, this is not allowed with the Mac App Store because it modifies the system in in ways that we don't agree with or whatever. Uh, But if users like these functions, they will buy these products. And, you know, that was my example of a window shade or default folder 10 or anything as being the paths in the grass where people are walking in that path, going in that direction, you know, Because that's functionality that they want. And that's a signal for Apple not to keep replanting grass over there and saying no, no, you can't walk there. But to say, hey, I guess people obviously want to do this. They want this functionality. Why don't we take this functionality and build it into the operating system? Uh, Or at least provide clean APIs for third-party developers or do something, you know. Rather than trying to say, you can't modify running applications. You can't do these, you know, uh, make these in-memory hacks or anything like that. You can't inject your code into our applications. Don't just keep trying to close that door. Look at why people keep doing this. Because it's not as if, you know, some pawn writes an application that injects itself into every running application. If if that becomes very popular, it's not because people love injecting code into other applications. (laughs) Most people have no idea how it works. They just know that it does work. And in fact, they may notice that the stability of their system decreases because they run this, but they keep running it. Why do they keep running it? Because they really, really want you know, insert feature here. They really, really want window shade. They really, really want the features that default folder 10 provides. They're not doing it for kicks and they're not doing it despite Apple. They're doing it because the functionality is useful. So in uh, and, and all these cases where there's a popular default folders, like I said, it's been around for what decades now. It's not like this is a fluke. It's not like, you know, oh, this is some crazy new application. It'll be a fad. It'll go away. People have been using this and paying for it for years and years. Obviously, they want this functionality. So Apple if Apple doesn't think this functionality is appropriate for the operating system, at the very least, provide clean, supported hooks for applications like Default Folder 10 to do what it does. Because if they think, no, it's too complicated, we don't want the Save dialog box to have that many key goals. we think that mouseover thing where you select Finder Windows is just too undiscoverable uh, and, and it doesn't make sense for the target demographic that we want at least provide hooks, at least provide an API that says, if you want to extend the open, Save dialog box, we've made an officially supported extension mechanism, kind of like they did with Safari extensions, because there were... Safari extensions for years, like Saft and what was that other one? There's a couple other co- popular ones that extended Safari in quote-unquote illegal ways by jamming themselves into the memory image and calling Safari APIs and extending stuff. And Apple didn't like that. And they said, no, 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 we'll make a real extension mechanism, officially supported Safari extensions. And here's the limited set of things you can do, but it covers most of the bases. You can have your own little windows. You can have your own little preferences. You can make toolbar buttons. You know, most of the things that extensions were trying to do, we will now provide an official mechanism for that was the right thing to do. And they should do that in all other cases where there are these paths worn in the grass from people walking over and over again to this particular destination.
0: More, more apps sold in the app store, more happy customers. It seems like a, a, a logical uh, thing for them to do.
1: Yeah, it still comes down to trade-offs because to build the Safari extension mechanism, they had to say, "All right, we're gonna we have to come up with an API documentation. We have to support it. We have to make sure our extensions can't crash the browser." Like it was, which which is also, they do
0: so, <laughs> sometimes. Yeah. yeah,
1: I know. It, it, there is an effort and there is some compromise. I think they felt the pressure to do it with Safari because Chrome has extensions, Firefox has extensions. You know, and Firefox had extensions for years and years, like there was Grease Monkey and all those other add-ons. So the, Safari didn't feel the pressure then, but once. Firefox had it, and Chrome had it, and Chrome's market share started to pass Safaris, then it's kind of like, okay, we'll add extensions to Safari. But uh, Windows Shade, they held strong on, and I actually stopped using Windows Shade recently just to get the last hacky off my system, but I was sad about it. I really want to use Windows Shade. I like Windows Shade. I just don't like the way it has to be implemented, and I blame Apple for that, not the, de- not the developers. I-, I thank the developers on Sanity of Windows Shade. I would have paid for that every year if they had it on a subscription basis, and I, I still know people who want to use it. Uh, I think Apple should just either build that into the system or make it a hidden preference or build some sort of easy hook so that it can be added uh, because it's it's popular with a certain subset of people. And again, if they don't want to build it in, because if you build it in, then you're you're crushing a developer. It's like, oh, you said they should add default Folder 10's functionality to open save, and they did, and now that developer's out of business. So good job there. Well, that <laughs> happens all the time in the Mac world. Some feature that was a popular third-party application ends up being folded into the OS. Uh That's just the way life goes. Now, some some features you could say, well, they really shouldn't have built in a Photoshop competitor into the OS because now Adobe can't sell Photoshop and that was a bad move. So some some things are arguably not really appropriate as part of the OS uh, and it's just Apple competing with a third party. But but if you're extending the open and save dialog box, that's clearly a core part of the OS. And if anyone's going to enhance the open and save dialog box, and Apple has enhanced it in each version of Mac OS X, but if they're going to further enhance it, I would think that the makers of default folder 10 would say, you know, it's not like we didn't see this coming. They're always improving the open, save dialogue box. Uh, we're kind of flattered that they stole our features. We're sad that we now can't sell this product as much anymore. They would prefer it if Apple provided clean hooks to extend it. So it was like a third party opportunity for everybody to extend the open, save dialogue box. But so far, Apple has done neither. No API has not integrated the features. So, uh, I continue to be a happy customer of default folder ten, uh, but not as happy as I would be uh if in any of those other two scenarios. Well we should add
0: a link, uh add that to your list, uh, put that in the in in the, the show links to that
1: uh yep, default that. folder
0: X uh ten for their, their lion support. It's important for people that maybe uh, didn't realize that it uh it worked on Lion. So I'm gonna check that out. I actually haven't used default folder ten before, so
1: it's one of those things that people from Classic know about, kind of yeah. like Windows Shade, because if you came to Mac OS X and never used Classic, you wouldn't know Windows Shade ever existed, and you would never seek it out. Same thing with if you didn't know a default folder, didn't know that name, or didn't know of the, the features, you wouldn't be seeking out something that does that in Mac OS X if you had never used it before. Right. So for all of us Classic guys, we were looking for things that work like or replace or are actually the same exact product as the things we used in Classic. Uh, one example of that is the... Uh, i remember complaining a lot about the Apple menu in mac OS Ten that it wasn't you know the old Apple menu was an ex- a folder where you could chuck stuff in, and then whatever you threw in that folder would appear in the menu so you could make little subfolders full of applications and and stuff like that, and you could arrange it so you had a custom menu in the upper left hand corner to find frequently accessed items and uh when Mac OS Ten came out, Apple said no, you can't customize the Apple menu anymore The contents of the Apple menu is you know it's about this Mac." and like three or four other little things and then quit, shut down, sleep, log out, and that's it. You can't you can't add stuff to it. And a classic macOS people like me were saying, well, that was where I went to launch all of my applications and open all my recently used folders and stuff. What's the equivalent of that? So I'll just throw it in the dock. I'm like, the dock is so much worse. The dock takes up this huge amount of space. You can't add too many things to it. There was no like subfolders initially where you couldn't you know, navigate down five levels into the hierarchy. Uh, why not just use the Apple menu for that? And Apple said, no, no, we're not doing that. Uh, what Apple should have done and what the classic Mac OS people like me eventually did was introduce something better. Fine. You don't like the Apple menu. You don't th- like people throwing stuff in there. You want to use the Apple menu for something else. You don't want it all cluttered up. Fine. Give us a better alternative. And Apple said, well, our better alternative is the dock. And, uh, you know, power users, quote unquote, uh, like me, were saying, that's not as good. It's not as good for reasons X, Y, and Z. I want something better. And when something better came along, it wasn't from Apple. It was basically for me, Quicksilver. I can launch with Quicksilver much faster than I ever did could with the classic uh, you know, Apple menu. Uh, and that's what I was looking for. I was looking for Apple to say, uh, you know, command space, the first few letters of your application is going to make you way happier than the customizable Apple menu ever did. And that is totally true. And so I, I don't give a thought to the Apple menu anymore. I have no bitterness about the Apple menu not working like it did before because Quicksilver is so much better. It does, you know even though the functionality seems to be not equivalent, it's not a menu full of items that you can customize. It's not exactly the same mechanism. The things I use it for, quickly finding and launching applications, uh, are the same. Uh, And that's what I was looking for for Apple way back when, when I was complaining about the Apple menu was either keep what we've got or give us something just as good or give us something that's better, even if a thing that's better isn't totally different, like Quicksilver, whoever even thought of that, you know, command space and then this weird window comes up where you can type stuff. It's nonsensical, but in <laughs> practice, in, in practice, it's great. Uh, so that's another example of, of the varying scenarios of taking away things that people are used to without providing a replacement. Uh, it's better if you you can provide a replacement that's that's even better, even if it's totally different.
0: Let's take a break and talk about one of our sponsors for this episode. This episode is brought to you by Shopify.com. It is the internet's internet's most elegant, customizable, and affordable hosted e-commerce platform. With Shopify, you can take advantage of their thriving theme and application community, and you can add beauty and depth to your site. You know, with Shopify, and you may not have you may not know this, is that you can actually customize your storefront with your own HTML, CSS, and even if you want, you can use your own JavaScript. So for 5x5 listeners, for a limited time, you can join Shopify and enjoy your first three months for free. And to do that, when you go join, make sure you use the discount code 5x5. That's the number 5, B-Y, and then the number 5. So be sure to check out Shopify at Shopify.com, which is a shop in minutes and a business for life.
1: All right, that's, so half the show on follow-up. I think that's all the follow-up I have.
0: All right, what's new uh, since, uh, since the last show? What do you got?
1: Well, we're still, believe it or not, wending our way through things covered in my Lion article. I think maybe this will be the last one. So this um, is the, the
0: epic article uh, that you do for every major release uh, at, uh, at Ars Technica.
1: That's right. And we talked about lots of stuff from that article so far, taking a section each show or whatever. And there's one section. This is something that people wanted me to talk about before my line review came out. I sort of had a moratorium of talking about line features on the podcast. I'll say, you know, save it for the review. If I talked about it. I would feel like I was just reading from my review in progress. So I just wanted to have a radio silence till the review come out. Then we have the big review and then we can talk about it. So people were constantly asking me after WWC, you got to talk about this thing called ARC. When is John going to talk about ARC on the show? And I said, no, 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 wait for the review to come out. And the review came out. And then we talked about the review in like four or five shows and still never got to ARC. So today I think is the day we will finally talk about ARC. Uh, And like all the other things that I've talked about in Lion, you should just go to the, the section of my Lion review and there you will find a, a pretty big dump of what I have to say about ARC. So I'm not going to repeat that entire section. It's linked in the show notes. Uh, you should read it. You should pause now and read it if you haven't read it, because I will assume you have already read it and understand it. But I'm just going to sort of uh, hit yeah, some so of this the highlights. Is,
0: this is visit. page 11 for those falling at home on the website. I think, I
1: think it's 10. You're sure oh, it's 11? It? I, I was saying go to page 10, uh, because 10 gives context. 11 talks about the specific... Yeah, start, oh, start you're, right, you're right. You're right. You're right.
0: Yep. You are correct. Page 10.
1: All right. So, brief recap. The reason people were talking, we, people kept asking me to talk about Oracle because I had a previous show, which was episode 14 or something. Let me look at the the notes here. Uh, yes, episode 14 was t- entitled A Dark Age of Objective-C. I think on the show's bookending 14, on 13 and 15, I also talked about similar issues. Uh, but what I was discussing was a series of articles I wrote years ago called... Uh, copeland 2010 which was about how apple's use of objective c and Cocoa apis which are which is a language and an api created for next computer back in the uh, uh, 90s i guess eight, 1989 was objective c and then in the early 90s next and everything how that could end up being a problem for apple going forward because all of its competitors on the desktop and mobile platforms have languages and apis that are higher level that they don't that they don't make uh the developers deal directly with memory that their memory safe that they they don't require manual allocation and deallocation of memory that they have higher level concepts they're not a superset of c and in the series of articles and in my various follows up follow-ups that series of articles most of which are linked from the arc section of my line review i talked about both sides of it on the one hand apple using objective c uh is an advantage for them particularly in mobile because it's lower level because you can get more efficiency out of it you can mix easily with existing c code and c libraries uh, the Cocoa api uh, it being so old is an advantage because it's mature and time tested and refined and polished and it has you know it's not something brand new that is untested in real world applications people have been building applications with these next step apis for years and years before Apple even came along and and now it's even better. These are all advantages of Objective-C and Cocoa. The disadvantages I was saying is that programming languages just get higher level over time. Uh, Back in the the dawn of the Mac, huge sections of the operating system and many of the applications were written in assembly, uh, which is unheard of today. You would never write a GUI application in assembly or anything having to do with the GUI application in assembly except maybe some little tight loop somewhere for some numeric computation, but even then it's not that common these days. Uh, and C and C++ have been dominant for years and years, but in, uh, in say, after, in the 2000s, whatever you want to call this uh, millennium decade, most other development platforms have started to switch away from C, C++, to other languages that are higher level. So Java obviously came and just covered the earth with a memory-safe language where there are no more pointers and there's no more dealing with memory manually. There's garbage collection, uh, it looks a lot, kind of, a lot like C++, and it's still got the same kind of bondage and discipline over static typing and stuff like that, but you don't have to deal with memory, and it's unquestionably a higher level language than than C or C++. Uh, and then Microsoft, of course, has C Sharp, and it's common language runtime, and it's various things built on top of that. Again, memory safety, similar to C++, very similar to Java, uh, but higher level language constructs like link to SQL and stuff like that, things that are not really easy or, or even possible in many cases with a low-level language like C. And my argument way back when, I think this was 2005 or so, was that Apple needs a plan here because you don't just come up with a new language and API overnight. You can't say, well, you know, Objective-C and these next APIs were great, but next year we're going to have a new one. You, you can't just, you know, you have to, it takes years and years and years to transition. And you have to make sure what you're transitioning to is good. And I was saying, well, what are they going to transition to? Are they, gonna, they don't want to use a competitor's language. They don't want to use Java, for example because back then, you know, that was Sun's thing. And you can look at Google using its, don't call it Java Java thing on the Dalvik VM, their current legal woes with Oracle and all that business. I don't think Apple wants any part of that. Uh, the common language runtime, there's this mono and .NET with an open source implementation of, of .NET is this mono runtime and the C Sharp language is standardized, but Microsoft mostly controls it. Does Does Apple want to adopt Microsoft's language and api stack probably not i mean they like being masters of their own destiny so i said apple if you're going to yeah, there's going to come a day when the fact that people have to deal with pointers and manual memory allocation is going to be a problem for you uh and in 2005 people laughed and said that's ridiculous it's perfectly fine the next developer said we've been doing this for years you don't know what you're talking about our apis are all better than theirs it doesn't matter their language is higher level their apis suck next step apis are awesome most of that is actually true uh but you know you can't you can't hold back the tide. At a certain point, it's just going to become ridiculous to be dealing in a language where you can accidentally scribble all over your own memory, or where you can accidentally access something off the ends of of an array and crash your entire application. You know, or where you have to manually uh, allocate memory or retain and release and stuff like that. It'll it will just end up looking silly. Now I, I said in later follow ups that the mobile the dawn of the mobile age has given apple and extension or stay of execution because on mobile you have less memory less cpu uh, everything else is just tighter and it's kind of like going back in time platform wise to say ah season aren't you glad that we have this awesome c-based language and api and we can be fast and memory efficient and our batteries last a long time and our competitors have these vms and their uis aren't smooth because their garbage collector is running and making everything stutter that has made it uh more feasible for Apple to stick with this, but it all does is delay things. So, again, I start asking now here we are in 2011. So, what, what's Apple going to do about this? Uh, it seems like they have a problem here against their competitors, and their competitors, for the most part, have already paid the very painful price to convert from what they had before to this new thing. It's always like a long, horrible, painful process. Just ask Microsoft about it. Uh, Google had the advantage of starting from scratch with a memory managed language, so they didn't have to deal with that. Uh, same thing with like WebOS or whatever, where they're using HTML. And JavaScript and, and Palm's platform, despite Palm apparently not doing well selling devices, its OS uh, has gotten nice reviews, and its API is not low-level like Apple's uh, in all cases. They, I think they have some native API for making games, but their, their GUI API is, is much higher level. So, in WWC 2011, Apple made an announcement that they had something called ARC, which stands for Automatic Reference Counting. Now, in, in the thing that I linked to in my line review, I talked all about... Uh, what is reference counting first? Not automatic reference count, but just plain old what is reference counting. And it's a way that uh, it's a convention for managing memory for objects in the next step slash Cocoa APIs. And it's very, it's existed for a very long time. To be a Cocoa developer, you used to have to know and understand this stuff. It, it, it has to do with retaining a reference to uh, an object that you're going to use and then releasing it when you're done. And when nobody else is retaining one, then the object gets deallocated. Automatic reference counting, this thing that they introduced is basically the same as reference counting, except that you don't have to write the parts where it says retain this, release that, auto-release that. The compiler will write it for you. So you take your existing program as just the, the one you wrote according to the Cocoa rules with retain, release, so on and so forth, and, release, uh, and, and remove all the calls to retain, release, and auto-release, just erase them all. And then compile your program, and the compiler will figure out where it needs to retain, where it needs to release. And do all that stuff. So the name is very apt. Automatic reference counting. It's reference counting memory. It's not a garbage collector. It's not anything like Java. It doesn't introduce memory safety. It doesn't remove pointers. It Doesn't do anything like that. All it does is say, we don't want you guys to have to write this memory management code anymore. We'll write it for you. And it will be more efficient. You'll have to write fewer lines of code. Uh, and it will be uh, more error free. So that's what Arc is, and a lot of people were asking me, well, doesn't this solve the problem you were talking about with this Copeland 2010 business? Isn't this their Apple solution to this problem of having a low-level language? And my answer mostly is Arc is good, but and it helps, but it doesn't really address the, the problem that I was talking about, uh, The thing that's interesting about Arc is that what it does do is reveal that Apple agrees, at least to some degree, that there is some sort of problem here, that they're behind in some regard. Uh, If they thought everything was fine, like our language and API is the best, there's no problem with it, we are ahead of our competitors in all areas, they wouldn't be undertaking an effort like this. Uh, what, What this effort shows is that they agree that there are things about other platforms, mobile and desktop, that make them more attractive than Apple's platforms. And uh, they pick this, makes me think that, that, that they believe the number one problem that new developers coming over from another platform or something will say is like, all right, I'm going to try to learn how to develop for iOS or for the Mac or something. And they start learning about Cocoa and they say, I have to do what? Retain? <laughs> release? Well, memory? Yeah.
0: As someone, uh, and we talked about this over email, and uh, as someone who is, uh, you know, uh, uh, just uh, familiar with, with, uh, with Cocoa development and iOS development, where I've just... Kind of gone in and and uh, just started becoming familiar with it. I, I described myself to you as a newbie to it, so, so that I'm not, um, you know, I, I know what you, I know what you're talking about, but I know exactly what you mean. To where uh, I was, I was following along. Um, you know, Stanford does all those uh, those iTunes uh, U videos, and I think they have a couple that are on iOS development. And there is that whole section, and it's very early on where they teach you how to um, how to allocate and deallocate memory, and uh, it can definitely be for someone that's coming maybe from. Uh, developing for the web it's very much a huge shift
1: yeah and it's so fundamental or used to be so fundamental to objective c that they would teach it to you in like lesson two and you'd be like well i want to know how to write an app why are you telling me about like memory like and especially even for older developers who have been in the business a long time they're like i gave that stuff up you know years ago i was so happy to move to java or c sharp or whatever i didn't have to deal with that crap and here i am using the quote-unquote world's most advanced operating system which was the slogan for mac os 10 not ios but either way I'm using this wizzy new thing on my cool iPhone or my Mac, and I have to manually manage memory. Not—it's not that it's that hard. Uh, and you, and there are advantages of uh, retaining/release memory management over garbage collection in some particular scenarios, which Apple loves to emphasize in terms of not having to stall for the garbage collector to run and stuff like that. But from a de- developer's perspective, especially a developer coming from another platform, it seems barbaric. People don't like going backwards, you know. And web development again, JavaScript—you don't have to deal with this stuff. JavaScript—you don't have to deal with types really. Uh, so this is a weakness that, that Apple is basically admitting exists in their platform because why else would you, it, you know, introduce this initiative to make it so that, uh, people don't have to write retain release code and, and not only just making this like an option, because gar- they had garbage collection for Objective-C for a while too. And I go into in the line review, all the reasons why garbage collection was not a good fit for Objective-C, but it existed. Uh, but it was never really promoted that heavily. Apple didn't make all of its apps garbage collected. Uh, it wasn't the officially recommended practice for new applications, so on and so forth. And with Arc, it's different. With Arc, when you make, if you get Lion and install the developer tools and and say I want to make a new iOS application or a new Cocoa application, it makes it enables Arc. Like it's the default. This is the way they want people to write their applications. They are committed to it. They're going to make it work, and they want to remove this whole retaining release business from their platform. So it's easier for developers to adopt, so less work. you know. And they want everyone to use it, not just newbies, but even uh, old guys who know exactly how to do retaining release in their sleep. You know, everyone makes mistakes. Even the the old hands at this, every once in a while, it's like they have to run the, the leak detection thing. It's say, like, oh, I forgot, to, uh, I'm over-releasing here, or I forgot to release this, or I have a, you know a cycle here. Now, ARC doesn't break cycles either. Reference cycles where A references B and B references A and nothing else in the program references them and A and B never go away. ARC doesn't solve that either. You have to it gives you some tools to solve, but we can use weak references so that you make A reference B and then B back to A with a weak reference uh, so that uh, the weak reference doesn't count towards the reference count so that those two things will eventually be deallocated. So it gives you tools to do that but you still have to manually create that weak reference. Remember that A already points to B. So when you point B back to A, don't just make a regular reference. Make it a weak reference. it's it's better than nothing, but it's still not like garbage collection, which can find and break cycles and, and clean up memory that it knows is not reachable from the rest of the program. Uh, now, at, at, again, the for my Copeland 2010 thing, it doesn't make Objective-C memory safe. It doesn't remove pointers. It doesn't do any of those things, uh, which are mostly what I was talking about. It wasn't so much that I was saying Objective-C is a pain because you have to manually manage memory. I was saying Objective-C is lower level, and all the things that go with that, the advantages and the disadvantages, eventually the disadvantages will start dwarfing the advantages, I I guess we're still not at that point because Apple's mobile platform in particular still is doing extremely well in terms of both perceived and actual performance, battery life, uh, and a lot of that is attributable to its use of a low-level language. So I don't know when this day of reckoning will come, and I don't know what Apple's plans are. The very end of the line arc, of my my line review where I talk about arc, I said, well, you know, let's, let's crystal ball this and say, what does this say about Apple's future? What are they planning on doing? Uh, And my tea leaf reading is that. All right, so this this says that Apple realizes there's some sort of problem. So I'm going to extrapolate from that and say that they realize that they can't stick with Objective-C forever. Like this is not not just that Objective-C has one or two disadvantages, but that they realize the full extent to which objective C is behind other languages. You know, they realize the advantages as well, which is why they didn't go with garbage collection. Or, you know, they said that we, we wanna retain our advantages for as long as possible, but we wanna minimize our disadvantages. but eventually we're gonna have to make that leap. So that's my first tea leaf reading, is that Apple realizes there uh, is a better way, uh, and they want to get to that better way somehow. The second thing uh, I'm reading from the tea leaves here is that the, Apple is not a believer in virtual machines and garbage collection for the sake of saying we have a virtual machine garbage collection. So, you know, Dalvik on, on the Android platform has a virtual machine, has garbage collection. C Sharp, the common language Runtime .NET, there's garbage collection and then a virtual machine. Apple has is not creating a virtual machine as far as I could tell. And, you know, and they don't seem to be big fans of garbage collection as in runtime garbage collection. But there's some other process while your program is running that finds out memory that's not referenced anymore and, and gathers it up and deallocates it. Um, and so I extrapolate from all of that and say the next thing Apple will probably do or well, the next thing, but where Apple is probably going is a memory safe compiled language that deals with uh, that is kind of like the parts of Objective-C that Cocoa programmers use. So in Objective-C program, you can do anything you can do in a C program. You could you know, start fiddling with pointers, you could have native C arrays and stuff like that, but what Apple wants you to do with the API is, you know, don't use C arrays. Yes, C has support for arrays. You can use little angle brackets to do pointer arithmetic for you. It looks like you're accessing an element, but it's just math. Isn't that wonderful, right? They say, no, use NS array or NS mutable array. That's our collection class, right? And same thing with strings. Yes, you can do a pointer to a character and then have it be a string and use null termination, but don't do that. Use NS string. We have a class for that, right? most of the things that you can do in Objective-C program, Apple doesn't want you to do when you're writing your GUI app. They say, call our Cocoa APIs, use our collection classes, use our syntax, don't use C. Now, you can imagine a language that is, to to, uh, borrow a phrase from uh, another thing I linked in the show notes, Objective-C without the C, where you've got the Objective-C APIs, but you don't have the ability to drop all the way down into C. And then you can make the Objective-C APIs memory-safe where if you're just dealing with objects and you're just calling methods and you're just using the native collection classes, there's no reason ever to have a raw pointer to memory or to ever dereference one or anything like that. Now, yes, yeah. yeah, so, uh, you know, Objective-C objects are technically pointers under the covers and so on and so forth, but I can imagine Apple moving in steps, like further ratcheting down the, the clamps on Objective-C because even in Arc, you can't do certain things. In Arc, you can't have like, I forget what the limitations are, but there's a bunch of limitations, but you can't take it, uh, you know, an NS object or something, a pointer to an object and shove it inside a C struct because ARC can't keep track of it anymore. Other restrictions on what you can and can't do that you could technically do in a C program, but when ARC is enabled, they say, actually, we're going to disallow that because we can't make ARC work. If you can do that, we lose track of your stuff, so that's not allowed. So they're, they're adding restrictions to the language to enable more advanced features. And I can imagine them adding more and more restrictions until on a per file basis, even in like a per lexical scope basis, saying in this Part of the code here. All you can do is call Objective C APIs. You can't do any of that straight C stuff. And in this, um, in exchange for that, those restrictions, you have memory safety, and maybe you even have a different syntax, and maybe they even give it a name that's a different language, right? At some point, I think they're going to come out and say Apple's new language is blah, and what it really is is a way to call Cocoa APIs in with a language that's memory safe. Now, every time I bring this up, everyone says Ruby Cocoa or not Ruby Cocoa, but Mac Ruby and the various other bridge type things, MacRuby being the, the most popular because MacRuby bridges from Ruby collection classes to Cocoa classes where you can program in Ruby, which is memory safe, right? And when you access a Ruby array, it uses NS arrays under the covers and then Ruby strings or NS strings under the covers and stuff like that. I have said in many shows that I'm down on bridge languages I don't think that's the way Apple will go, even though it's a pretty good bridge, and even though they are bridging the collection classes and stuff to under the covers B, and Ruby objects or Objective-C objects under the covers, I think they're more likely to carve out a little language out of the middle, out of the heart of Objective-C, and say, this is our new language. Whether they give it a new name, whether they give it a new syntax, you know whether it 's a file scope thing or a lexical scope thing or a whole program thing i don 't know, but I think that 's the, the direction they're going
0: but in small little steps is what you're saying and so it's not the yeah. uh, because they can't do a a big uh, a big shift and John is there i mean do you think there's even a uh, uh, the demand for this for this you know obviously Arc is probably going to be welcomed by a lot of developers, especially those that are new to to working in the cocoa framework. But do you think there's even a demand for for this type of change, or or is this? I guess I'm asking because I wonder if 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 the uh, the low levelness of of, of working uh, with Objective C and Cocoa is is that keeping people from from developing on the platform? I mean, there's thousands of developers putting stuff in the in the app stores.
1: Yeah, but one of this is a quote from the the uh, arc section of my review. Uh, and it has a link to a great talk by Ed Catmull of Pixar, which I have promoted on this show many times and have told people seems incredibly boring and is really long, but you should just watch it and listen to the whole thing because it's very enlightening. Uh, and the quote is uh, this is a quote from my review uh, Success hides problems, and <laughs> Apple has been so very successful in recent years. That is, success hides problems is a direct quote from that Ed Catmull talk, and it's totally true. Apple has been enormously successful with its mobile platform, with iOS but success hides problems. It doesn't say, well, it doesn't approve that they have no problems because they've been successful. Sort of, I, I forget which fallacy of that is. It's not appeal to authority, but it's one of those ones. Uh, their success hides their problems. People are coming to iOS and dealing with retain and release, not because they think retaining release are awesome, but because that's where the money is. That's where right. the success is. That's, you know, they've sold a lot of devices, you know? And yes, there are people who love Coco, love the next APIs and, were writing next apps when there was like three users in the entire universe, and they still loved it and still said it was the best. And maybe you'll never be able to convince those people that 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 Arc is good or that synthesized attributes are good. You know, it was always the old developers who say, "Oh, well, I've been doing this way for decades, and I think this way is better, and all this newfangled stuff is crap." If you can't convince them, you know, what can you do? It's Apple has always been focused on the future and they continue to be. They're focused on the new developer who's maybe never developed anything before and they are confused by retaining release. Or maybe they're coming from another mobile platform, another desktop platform, and they are disgusted by retaining release. And the old next guy say, Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Go back to your crappy platform. Our (laughs) API is so awesome. You should, you know, you should just like it. Right. And look how successful we are. Obviously, what we're doing is better because we've been selling, you know. You have to focus on the future. So whether there's a demand or not, Apple, Apple has to move forward. And the path forward is pretty clear in that manual memory management, I hope, for my grandchildren, is not something they have to deal with, in the same way that, you know, the people who were programmed computers with toggle switches or punch cards said, "Boy, I hope my kids don't have to use punch cards." And we don't. We get to type into you know a text editor and we get a compiler. You know, we don't have to, you know, we don't have to deal with that stuff. Even the people who are writing an assembler, I hope we're saying, boy, I hope people don't have to write thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of lines of assembler to write an operating system or or a GUI application or anything like that in the future. And we don't, we have higher level languages. It only gets higher level, right? And it's gonna happen. And it's really, really difficult to transition. That's the most dangerous time for a company. That's that's the that's why Apple, I think, is doing this slowly and in its steps because you have they have such an investment in in cocoa and and the, those APIs that were derived from next in the compiler they wrote their own compiler right and that's what they're building arc on top of well they adopted LVM and then made it into their own compiler right. They have such a huge investment. You can't just throw that away and say, Okay, well actually now the new we have a new API and a new language and here's this new thing. That's so, so hard to do, which is why I was freaking out about it in two thousand five, because I know how hard it is to do. And if you're gonna do it, you gotta go on like the ten year plan. You can't be on like the, the six month plan where you're gonna turn it around. So I think ARC is just the most recent step in what I hope, what I sincerely hope is like some two, three, four, five, ten year plan inside Apple to get from where they are now to where they want to be with the minimum disruption to their existing platform, to the developers who, who got them here, to the old next guys or to the people who came over from classic macOS. Those are the people that sort of got Apple to where they are. Apple's looking to the future, but it doesn't want to piss those guys off either. Uh, so it, it has to do it in a series of steps. And at a certain point, there'll be a discontinuity whether that's a marketing discontinuity, where they just simply say we have a new name for the restricted subset of Objective-C that we want you to write Cocoa things in. And by the way, with a new name, we introduce a new... Syntax is mostly window dressing, you know. It's the semantics of the language that make a difference. But at a certain point, they could introduce a new syntax because they've changed the semantics so much that you don't need to ever use pointer stuff. So the fact that you have little stars in front of all your object, quote unquote, object declarations is making, reminding you that there are pointers to, uh, you know, there are C pointers and new developers are saying, what are these stars all here for because they've never even heard of C? Like, that's the point where you might think about changing the syntax because it's just noise that's not relevant to current development.
0: Let's go ahead and take another break and talk about our second sponsor for this episode of Hypercritical. And that is Rackspace. Now, Rackspace has been sponsoring 5x5 now for almost a year. And I'm hearing from more and more people about how simple Rackspace Cloud is to use to host websites and applications. And what people always come back to is the fanatical support that Rackspace offers to its customers. So if there's ever a problem, Rackspace is there to help. Dan has gotten emails from 5x5 listeners about Rackspace, and he shared those with me, and I want to share those with you. So uh, let's go ahead and uh, I want to read an email to you from uh, Chris Gorman, who is a listener. And he says, Rackspace is awesome. They are the most reliable and helpful server company I have ever worked with. I used them for my first net admin position fresh out of college. And he says, I asked them all sorts of dumb questions and they always helped me with a smile. So if you're building a website or application, you should definitely check out Rackspace. Go to rackspace.com slash 5x5. So it's not about today or, or or next year and that's probably the point you're making in 2005 which is it's it's for as as new crops developers you know come out of school there there's you know maybe aren't going to be so accustomed to to this type of of development anymore uh and, and so to keep ahead of it then uh, apple needs to make some changes you uh, the last line i think of the uh of the arc section of your review. uh, You said, uh, the next few years of WWDC could be interesting. So maybe, are you hinting that maybe they're going to be rolling out something, one or two new things uh, per year, perhaps?
1: Well, so they did it in past WWDCs. They did stuff like the property syntax, where instead of doing objects, arrow, you know, hyphen, greater than sign, uh, value, which is pointer dereference, access, stuff like that, you could do a dot syntax. Uh, and the dot was a new syntax they added for accessing properties instead of, instead of calling uh, – not instead of the arrow, sorry. Instead of calling – the uh, instead of sending the get foo message, you could do object.foo, and it would, under the covers, call the method for you and stuff like that. It was a different syntax for a common operation for dealing with attributes. And a lot of – and this was this was not this year. This was maybe last year or the year before that. And a lot of seasoned Objective-C developers said, why would I do – I'll just call, you know, get foo. With my square brackets the way I always have, or set foo and then you know with value blah blah blah. Why would I use this dot syntax on the assignment? It looks weird to me. It looks like it looks like I'm accessing a, a structure element, uh, but I'm not. And and it looks kind of like C sharp or Java or some other syntax that are JavaScript. And that's not the way I like it. I want my objective C, see you know there was pushback on that, but that was that was a baby step in this direction of you know. What are the things that annoy people? Well, people don't like to do get and set. They like this dot access uh, attributes. So let's provide that. And they don't like declaring things in seven places where you got to do it in the header file, and you got to do the implementation, and you got to make sure they're all in sync. And sometimes writing getters and setters is just boilerplate where you're copying, and pasting the same code over and over again with some names changed. So let's have a synthesized thing where we can make that code for you. And like tiny little steps. And at every one of those tiny little steps. People grumble and complain and say, well, here are the disadvantages of it versus doing it manually. But then eventually, sometimes, you know, you'll see an Objective-C developer say, I didn't use properties, but I finally came around to it and it makes things so much easier. Or, you know, any of these things they introduce, there's always pushback. So Arc is just one more step. Arc is not the first step. It's the biggest step so far because those other things are like, here are ways to save you typing and we will do stuff that we think you would have typed anyway. And if you don't want to do it, fine. Type it all out the same way you always did. Arc is the first time where they're saying you actually can't type retain and release anymore. Run under Arc, which is the recommended way to do things, and you we're taking away retain and release from you. We're going to handle it. Just follow these conventions. You can do it on a profile basis and a pro-project basis. You know, It's not like garbage collection where it's global. So we want you to uh, adopt it. We have a, a a thing in the ID that says make this Arc compatible, and it'll go and erase all your retains and release and, and convert your project to it. You know, We're trying to help, trying to make, bring people along, but Arc is the first really big step in that direction and I say the next years are going to be interesting because I assume this rate of change will accelerate not get slower like they spent many many years getting off GCC which was their old compiler the open source uh, GNU compiler what does GCC stand for GNU compiler something or other which starts with a C and you know they adopted LLVM and they made their own compiler out of it and that took a long time because they wanted to make their compiler GCC compatible but better than GCC in every possible way they could. I think that they've paid that price now, that they they did that work, and now they're finally free to start running. You know, And uh, I don't know how long it took them to develop Arc, but it strikes me as the first thing they could do once they got their head above water with GCC. That finally, GCC is gone. All right. Now, finally, we have the compiler infrastructure that we always wanted. Everything's nice and clean, easy to extend. What's the first thing we're going to do? And the first thing they did was attack, retain, and release. Right. So next year, who knows what they'll have in the store for us. And the year after that, and the year after that, I expect the rate of change to accelerate towards... Some unknown destination.
0: It sounds uh, it sounds exciting and uh, maybe a good place to uh, to wrap up. Did you have anything else on on the list for today, or did you think that arc was uh, was enough for arc everyone?
1: Main, the main thing I wanted to get to. People, I did mention on past shows that I had a ten word review. 10-word joke review of Lion because back when we were talking about how long my Lion review was, <laughs> I mentioned that I had a short version of it. A friend of mine said, I don't want to read your whole Lion review. Can you give me the 10-word summary? Uh, so I did. I made a 10-word summary. Uh, this is mostly a joke and it contains a curse word, which Dan will not like me to say, so I will abbreviate the curse word so I won't have to be bleeped so people can...
0: I was getting speak. ready to mark you on the... On the no, track. I'm not going to mark it. I'm not going to say it. Okay, go mind, ahead. Right?
1: All right, so this is what, what I originally wrote, and I will I'll give you the amendment. This is the 10-word version. Upgrade, but not right away. Change is scary. Effing iOS. <laughs> now, I'll unpack this briefly. All right, so the upgrade, <laughs> but not right away it makes it seem like, oh, are you saying we should hold off because it's not good and I shouldn't? You know? I always don't upgrade personally right away. Uh, like my machines are still running snow leopard now and I've talked about this on past shows just because I say in the review that the operating system is good and that you should upgrade doesn't mean you should upgrade the day it's released like wait a while see that all your applications are compatible let other people find out what the problems are this is not just Lion. every OS release I've always said you know <laughs> you're best off waiting a little bit make sure don't don't just guess you know don't just upgrade and then find out what's because you can't revert easily You have to restore from a backup right. You can find out if your apps are compatible. Go to the developer's page. Like, for example, before I upgraded to Lion, I would go to the default folder 10's page and say, is this compatible? Is that, you know, all your favorite applications. Find out if they're compatible. Read the reviews. Read the reviews first and find out that no, you can't run PowerPC applications on Lion. Find out if you have any PowerPC applications. If you don't know how to find out if you have any PowerPC applications, Google for Mac OS X find PowerPC application. Like,
0: there are some lists out there that people yeah. have been keeping.
1: Yep. Right. So the my little my first part of upgrade but not right away. I could put that in the front of almost every macOS 10 review. Upgrade is me saying, this is an improvement over the past version. I like it. I like the direction they're taking the operating system. The but not right away is a reminder that like all operating system upgrades, don't be nuts and go out there the day it comes out and just install it on your new machine and then cry when everything breaks. Like caution is recommended. I have to at the end of the review make some sort of recommendation like thumbs up, thumbs down. I like, give Lion a thumbs up, but like all operating systems and all big changes like don't don't rush out and upgrade everything and then be sad when things break find out first you have the tools to do it do it change is scary is the next three words and that's the whole bit about you know changing the scrolling and the iOS type behaviors and uh, you know trying to r- remove the number of things that users have to, to be concerned about trying to make users take users out of the business of remembering what windows they open and taking users out of the business of managing applications memory and quitting them uh, when they don't want it to run them anymore and relaunching them when they need them and all that business like uh, that's change is always scary sometimes it's good sometimes it's bad but it's hard to distinguish especially on day one which one of these changes is going to be something that 10 years from now we'll say, God, I can't believe we ever did it the other way. Or we'll say, this was a terrible misstep and they have to, you know, back, uh, go back on that. Uh, And then the final part was effing iOS. And that is a meant to be vaguely humorous uh, reference to the fact that most of the things that people don't like about Lion are due to the influence of iOS. So let's let's those.
0: So scrolling.
1: Yeah. That the, the automatic quitting of applications uh, the the gestures. Restoring.
0: Well, maybe not so much the gestures. But.
1: It, it, gestures too. Gestures for, you know, changing all the gestures and stuff. The, the simplification of, of spaces and everything and mission control. And like, it's iOS's influence is everywhere in Lion. And whether those changes turn out to be good or bad long term, if you're going to lay blame for, why is this line thing annoying me? It's basically iOS's fault. So the effing iOS there is the... <laughs> <laughs> I actually added that because I had the eight-word review and I added that in there because it's like... It, we all are upset when someone moves our cheese, right? Or things aren't quite the way we want them to be. And I believe that some of these changes in Lion are inappropriate for a desktop operating system, or at least inappropriate for one running on a 30-inch monitor or something. And, you know... And I blame those changes on the success of iOS and on iOS coming back there. Now, most of the things I think are actually good. You know, the, the things that iOS are doing is a proof of concept saying, see, computing can be like this and it's better. I, the vast majority of them, I believe that to be the case. But it still doesn't mean that people aren't going to be all cranky about it. And when they're cranky about it, that's the sentiment. effing iOS. iOS getting all inside my Mac. <laughs> making me change my up. scrolling. Yeah. I mean, even the scroll direction is not, you know, that's, so that's my 10 red review. Upgrade, but not right away. Change is scary. Effing iOS. Uh, much shorter to read. Even my expansion of it was shorter than, than reading the <laughs> review. But I would recommend reading the review if you want a slightly more nuanced and less glib take on the operating system.
0: I also uh, recommend the review. Uh, it's um, it's it's a great take. It's a great look into all the little pieces, especially for people that really like uh, that are the listeners of this show that really like to. Uh, know every every small bit and then you know read some intelligent uh commentary on on all the different changes in in lion uh so john are uh, just to wrap up um are you going to upgrade soon then i mean it's been what a month
1: yeah i'm still the main thing that's holding me back on my home max is quicken which i use
0: oh i think you've been you were uh i don't know if you talked about it on the podcast with dan or, 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 or on twitter but yeah i do remember you talking about that yeah
1: so i've been auditioning changes that i i've looked at a couple of them i haven't Pull the trigger on any of them yet. I may—I don't know. It's not a long-term solution, but I may just leave an old Mac running. Yeah. <laughs> running, you know. But uh other than that, I've also been checking my all my applications and updating them all, and I'm—I'm I'm getting there. I'm—I'm I'm in no hurry to switch to Lion. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that holds me back is I have a lot of compiled Unix software. I have ten different databases compiled and often various directories several versions of mysql and postgres and stuff and several several versions of perl are hiding in there and god knows what else i have custom versions of readline i have lots of U- compiled unix software i want to make sure all of that will build cleanly online before i go over because that's the, when i upgrade it's not just me upgrading then i got to go back in and make sure my existing installs and in user local they'll still be fine they'll be there but do they all work and right. is it and now is usually the time where I bite the bullet and say, okay, now it's time for me to upgrade my install of Perl from like 10, 5.12 to 5.14.2 or whatever the latest yeah. is. Stuff like that. For developers, I, it's
0: not just about whether you like the scrolling or not. It's whether you can actually like jump back in and do your development work is your environment set up exactly how you want it
1: right and that's even more so at work at work it's even worse because you know i have at home if i have break it, it's okay but at work i can't it'll you know i need to be able to do my work uh on, on the work machine so and also at work i have requirements to have my disk encrypted and i use pgp for that now so i have to uh, go through the it department and say hey is it okay if i upgrade to lion if i use the built-in encryption is that you know, certified for use at the company. It's a whole bunch of bureaucratic business of you know, delaying me at work. Uh, so I'll probably upgrade at home within the next few months if I get around to it. But it's also like set aside several hours in one day for me to do the upgrade and make sure everything works, you know, because I don't want to just like throw the upgrade on there and then everything breaks and then not have time to to fix stuff. Uh, you need to set aside a, a weekend
0: to, to make that happen.
1: Yeah. At least
0: for if you have multiple machines.
1: Yeah. Yep. Actually, I I just got a new machine for my wife, so hers will come with Lion. So hey, I don't have to upgrade her, and her old machine will probably be the Quicken machine in in the near term. But obviously, that's not a long term solution because eventually that machine is just going to die or break, or you know, you can't be running Quicken in, in you know ten years from now on that old Mac. Uh,
0: yeah, especially since and this is uh, the, the whole financial software thing is probably a whole whole topic for a whole show. But uh, you know, they they cease supporting certain versions too after a while, as far as. Uh, interacting with banks and stuff like that. So eventually things start to die. Yeah.
1: So I'm still... I'm holding off not for reasons that have anything to do with line, mostly just to have to do with the amount of time I have to deal with it and laziness and you know, it has to be said general satisfaction with Snow Leopard. Like, Snow Leopard works, I never have any problems, I haven't had a kernel panic on this Mac Pro in like two years. I can't remember the last time I had one. Uh, It's like a disruption to my environment uh, uh, you know and the thing is i'm already at the point now where i want upgrade to use this is what happens when new versions of applications come out and you're like oh man i want to check that oh it's line only like it's already happening even if it's not line only that like online it has some like solver which i love and i should i wish these guys would sponsor the program there i don't they don't have to sponsor it because everyone raves about it but i think Sol- marco raves it. about him too on twitter yes s-o-u-l-v-e-r Awesome application. Changed my life when I found it. He has been making Lion updates where it does automatic restore and stuff. And I hate saving my solver sheets. I hate the little red dot in the thing. And I hate when I quit solver, I got to remember to save the sheet and stuff like that. He's already made Lion updates to his app that I assume include uh, resume and autosave and stuff like that. And I want to use them now. And it's like I'm already getting that itch. <laughs> I want to be running Lion so I can see the cool new features in the applications that I already have. Uh, so it's only a matter of time before I succumb to, the, uh, to upgrade Fever.
0: Great. Well, that sounds like a good place to uh, to wrap up for for this episode. Uh, as always, um, I'm sure people know how to get a hold of you. Uh, I, I assume they probably go to five by five slash
1: uh, contact. Is I don't it? know where they do is that contact form thing. Uh, really? Yeah, somewhere people are finding it, but I get the feedback. Yes, at five x okay. 5tv tv slash
0: contact is one way to get in touch, and uh, I'm sure people will have some uh some some feedback i'm sure what you get every week. Yep. So great. Well, that's uh, i think we're going to wrap it up. Thanks John for uh, letting me jump in for Dan. He's taken uh obviously some, some time off to spend with uh, his his growing family. That's right. So uh so we uh, we wish him the best of course. And yep. uh that's it for uh, this episode of Hypocritical and uh either me or Dan will uh, talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Hypercritical. We'd like to once again thank our sponsors, Shopify.com and Rackspace.com. Please be sure to check them out and let them know that 5x5 sent you.